Hi, I'm Brandon Paul Eels. This is Reading Out Loud. Hi, everybody. I'm joined here in the Reading Out Loud studio by our producer, Ryan P. Duke. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing okay, buddy. All right. So we've been talking about superstition, right? Indeed. Yeah. And you asked if I was superstitious. And I, I am. I kiss the clock. I'm a clock kisser. Which is weird. <laughs> so you don't know where that clock's been. I didn't know you were going to judge me. I am. I kiss it with tongue. <laughs> to stop. I think Brandon I, licks you clocks. kiss the clock and make a wish. So the harder and more sexy you kiss it, this is reaching a point the more where we have to very powerful. carefully pronounce every word. The <laughs> Brandon licks clocks. 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 So you're superstitious too, right? Yeah, and I'm uncomfortable with it because I'm a man of science, Brandon. <laughs> I'm a man of science. But here I, I noticed go. that by your lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing this lab coat because I'm superstitious. <laughs> it's my this lucky, is my lucky lab, coat. lab coat. Lucky science. <laughs> no. Yes. Maybe. So you're superstitious. You're yeah. a Cubs fan. You have to be superstitious. I'm a right? Cubs fan. So like, here's the thing. Ugh. I had a big party last year. Did you know this? I had a big party for the first game of the National League Championship Series against the Mets. Mm-hmm. I had a whole mess of people over. Not me. I can't help but notice. Well, you don't. You're you and sports have a tenuous relationship. I was busy making out with a clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Go Here's ahead. The thing. Yes, so you I had, had a mess of people over, and we're watching the game, and and me and my buddy Chris were sitting next to each other, real close, basically the entire game. We're mm-hmm. both diehard Cubs fans, and they 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 lost. They yeah. lost every game of the National League champions. Right. <laughs> National League Championship Series last year. Yeah. Uh, they got swept right out. It was the worst thing ever. And uh, me and Chris never really talked about it. Mm-hmm. We didn't see the next game together or game three or game four. The second they lost that one game, we basically decided we should not occupy the same space together while viewing the Cubs. Right. Because... It was clearly you our fault. We're making them lose. We did it. Is it is it narcissism? I believe it's a form of narcissism. I think it's having this faith beyond ourselves, beyond our immediate ability to affect our direct experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cubs are people that I don't know, I don't hang out with. I want to. They seem like they have a lot of fun. <laughs> But I I have no direct experience on whether or not Anthony Rizzo gets a hit. Right. I don't have any effect on that whatsoever. Sure. Doesn't matter what pair of socks I'm wearing. Doesn't matter what time I get up to pee. Doesn't matter if Chris and I are sitting next to each other while watching the game. They will perform how they are going to perform with or without my effect. Are you sure? No. Here's Unless It's About Me, part three, Hide and Seek. By Ryan P. Duke. When we destroyed the world, it didn't really matter. Some mourned it, but it was short-lived, because we're eternal. The nostalgic recreate it. They build it piece by piece. Starts with a bang, then a force, then the heat. There's binding. Matter coalescing, igniting, 
Big gathering of dust, rocks, smashing rocks, implosions, explosions. Complex matter collecting, animating, thinking, shitting, dying. The trick is to wink it all out before it solves the riddle. Summer nights were spent with our backs on the cold green metal of a cable box. Home base for our games of tag. 38, 39, 40, ready or not, here I come, Mary would call, her voice buzzing the vinyl siding behind my head. I can see her run in the opposite direction and almost make a run for it before I consider my opponent. She's sneaky. She likes to run out of sight and then hide and wait for someone to run for base and then beat them there. That's her game. And it's better to wait to see if somebody else goes for it and then sneak in while she's distracted. The best part of this hiding place is the mulch. If she's near, I'll hear her crunching before she sees me. I sit on my heels and press my back to the concrete, watching for movement through gaps in the spiky bush leaves. Next to me is a window. Past wood slats, I can see a family room. An empty couch, tented blue by the TV set. Legos are scattered on the floor. I scoot a little closer, wanting to see inside. Wanting to know, are they like me? They live in my neighborhood. What are they watching? Are they separated too? Is this where they visit mom or dad? How many kids? But I can't see anyone. I think maybe if I were against the wall on the opposite side of the window, I could see more. Shadows cast into the dark room from a brighter room out of sight. A kitchen, maybe. Late dinner. What are they having? The blue shadows are lively. Perhaps big gestures, a family that talks with their hands. I don't need to see it. I know. I hear Mary curse and suck wind. I peek out from behind the bush to get a better look. She's fallen in the parking lot and skinned her hands on the concrete, catching herself. She fights tears. Recently, it became very important for her to prove her toughness, but I can tell she's really hurt. Time out! I call to the hidden children before pushing out from behind the bush. I see heads poke out all around the corners of identical townhomes. Kids crawl out from behind railroad tie retaining walls and fall out of magnolia trees. The cautious creep slowly, but the adventurous bolt for the cable box. Safe, they call one after the other. Only I dare to approach Mary. Yeah, she's cursed with the label of it, but I can see past that to attend to my ailing friend. Hey, let me see it. I bend low. She holds out her hand so I can see. The orange street light mutes all other colors, making it hard to see her wounds. I have to step closer. And when I do, she leaps up. You're it! She runs back to base, laughing at me. What, what the hell, Mary? No, I'm not. That's not fair. It's cheating. She looks around at the dozen or so kids sitting on or around the cable box, all of them touching it for safety. Did any of y'all hear me call time out? She asks. They all shake their heads. Did any of you hear me ask anyone for help or anything like that? No, they didn't, because I didn't. You acted like you were hurt. That's, che that's cheating. That's lying. It's deception, Kingy. We're playing hide and seek. It's all about concealment and sneakiness. You got tricked, and now you're it. I was coming to help you, and I called time out on your behalf. Nobody asked you to do that. Start counting, sucker. She turns her back on me heading out to look for her next hiding place. Hey, don't be such a jerk, Mary. I shove her. You're still it. She turns to me. No, she says, 
She punches me in the arm. You're it. I grab my arm. She walks away again. Shut up, you... You're a dick. I lunge at her and I push her harder. She stumbles to the ground. You're it. Hey, fuck you, Kingston. The other kids gasp at the curses. Mary tackles me. You're it. No, you're it. Fuck you. You shut the fuck up. I hate you. Why are you such an asshole? You're it. Stop fighting me. Say uncle. We take turns cussing as we roll in the grass. She's on top, then I'm on top, and then she has my arm behind my back, and then my wrist, and all my fingers all twisted. Uncle! God! Now I'm the one fighting tears. She lets go of my arm, and I roll over on my back. She's still on top of me, pushing my arms down, asserting her victory. Is that it? Are you it? Yes! God, I'm it! Why do we even let you play with us, you cheater? She leans in and whispers in my ear. Because you love me, stupid. She licks my cheek before getting off me. Everybody give the baby some room to count. Let's go, next round. She shoes everyone away, arms waving, and they scatter to new hiding places. Forty count, Kingston. You ready? I need a minute, I tell her. I don't tell her that I have a boner. She already knows. It doesn't matter whose fault was whose or who hurt who worse or who got custody of what or property of whatever, you know, just it, whatever. She left him, he fought it, and now she lives elsewhere and he's alone, sometimes with me, sometimes without me, in our old home filled with his new pre-owned and reupholstered furniture. I can hear him late at night pouring Svedka into a plastic bear's souvenir mug, the ice plunking the sides. He doesn't cry, but he has his way of breathing heavy. It's not a sigh. There's no vocalization. It's just pointed, heavy breathing, forcing the air with high velocity through his flared nostrils over and over as he sits there alone on his denim couch watching ESPN on mute. We would watch a lot of TV together. You know, all sorts of stuff. We'd watch the Miss America contests, and we'd judge their teeth like horses. They're all the same on the inside, he'd tell me. We'd watch American Gladiators and we'd root against the contestants. You know, it's funnier when they get squashed, he'd say. More true to life, little dude getting beat up by a rigged game. Sometimes we'd watch romantic comedies, just the two of us. It was my idea, usually. I had a thing for Meg Ryan. He'd turn it on and he'd occupy himself, you know, with something else. But occasionally he'd look up from balancing the checkbook and offer commentary. Always right around the climax. Oh, come on. You see how they look at each other? Holding eye contact for that socially unacceptable amount of time. Now, they might leave it all unsaid, or if the director is a total pussy and lets the writer call all the shots, they might say something right on the nose, and it's going to be about about finding each other or finding themselves in another. You know, it's always something like that. Seeking something that's been hidden or out of reach or, or finding that it was what they always had all along and they just didn't recognize it or reach it or see it until this other person came along and showed it to them. She's now found and he's found and before everything was lost, lost, lost. <sighs> Let me tell you what they found. They have found their greatest tragedy. And these two finally hold each other. Yeah, there we go. Just like that. From staring too long now to hugging too long. Come on. You're grown people, not poorly raised teenagers. 
Let me tell you, son, they are embracing their greatest tragedy right there. They're holding the thing that'll harm them the most because it always ends with pain. And whether it's by choice or by death, old Meg and Tom here, they have put on their cowboy hats, straddled the bomb, and now they are riding that puppy to their demise. Make no mistake, son. Love is loss. Love is holding your murderer close and thanking him for accepting you for you and all the while waiting for the knife behind your back to pierce your kidney. Either that or it's staring them in the face as they waste away and turn cold to part this earth. Anyway, that was a funny movie, though. Short. What else is on? I'm Godzilla. And this force of nature destroying, not because he must, but because he can't help himself. The buildings beneath me are made of matchsticks, and the cherry blossoms pop and explode under my feet. And the buildings catch with a whoosh, but it's not my fault. I don't mean it. I was just trying to catch the train to Osaka. When Mothra attacks, I duck, but it's too late. She licks my scaly cheek, and I am beaten. I crash to the earth with a scream and a blast from my atomic ray, popping more cherry blossoms, setting ablaze more buildings. The people wail for help. They buzz like gnats in my ears, and I swat at them before I realize that these are prayers. I don't speak Japanese, but I can understand. They are mine to save. Mothra dives at me again, but she misses this time, and at the last second, I reach and grab her leg. She flaps her mighty wings at me, trying to blow me off as she climbs higher, 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 out over the ocean, out over the deepest trench. Mothra's hurricane wings blow the spikes off my back and rip seams in the latex higher, past the mesosphere, thermosphere, until out of air to beat upon, Mothra tumbles, and I release my grip. I fall, gaining momentum, my suit igniting faster and hotter. A king monster fireball into the deepest trench of the largest ocean. A billion gallons ignite, and billions more boil away before the shockwave can take hold. A wall of water, twice as tall as me, races away from where I stand on the ocean floor. The plume of dust and steam part just enough for me to see the shore where tiny worshippers run, drop to their knees, and bow so low they touch their heads to the sand. The waves reach the shore, and I clap as the fires are extinguished. I clap as the buildings wash away. I clap as a nation drowns. I clap a thunderous clap. Mothra hovers above me, beating her mighty wings. The hurricane force pins me to the ocean floor as the water rushes back. I reach for Mothra. I beg her in our monster language. A fiery scream and a pleading look. Please, Mothra, please. She doesn't care. She'll leave me here. As the water fills my lungs, she will leave me here to die alone. The water crushes me from every angle. My skin and bones disintegrate within the rubber suit. I'm awake, but I'm wet. Catching double breath of cold and shock. I had fallen asleep with a glass of water in my hand. I pick it up, place it on my bedside table, and laugh. Godzilla can't drown.
The plan was simple. I'd ask Mary to the movies. No big deal. I mean, we could ride bikes there. It was just on the other side of the hill behind sections three and four. We could jump the drainage ditch like badasses and be there in a few minutes. Just the two of us going to the movies, just like we'd done already, like five times that summer. And we'll pay for some G movie. I think like Toy Story is still showing, but then we'll sneak into Congo or like maybe there's a scary movie plan and I'll buy her a giant cherry Coke and I'll ask the cashier for a side of insulin and he won't get it, but we will. And then we'll sit in the theater before the previews even start and play the trivia game and we'll get it all wrong because we haven't seen most of the movies that they're asking about. But we'll answer with as many Bart prank called gag names as we can remember. And then when the previews start and it gets dark, I'll sort of like rest my arm close to hers and and see, just like see if she like, you know, if she moves away or if she just stays still or maybe, you know, maybe she grabs my hand or I don't know. And then like if a big scary ape jumps out of nowhere and scares her, I will totally be there to like, you know, put my arm around her. But I, you know, I don't want to rush it. I mean, I'll just, I'll just be there. You know, we'll, we'll be there together so I knock on her door I knock again her grandmother's always home so I knock again I step off the front porch onto the mulch under the front window and it's dark inside but I can see that the furniture in the den is missing a few cables strewn about the floor the carpet crushed by footprints string and spent tape rolls litter the floor God, must have been robbed, I think. I hope her grandmother's okay. Should I call the police? What if they're still in there? What if they're in trouble? I can see over the breakfast bar that the kitchen window is half open. That must be how the robbers got in. Panicked, I run down the hill around the side of the building. Theirs is one of the few units that doesn't have a stair descending from the kitchen balcony, but their neighbor has a stack of firewood left over from the warm winter. Hurried, I grab bundle after bundle of wood, trying to make as tall and as sturdy a pile as I can, as as quickly and as quietly as I can. Moments later, my hands are bloodied by splinters, but the pile's five feet tall and sturdy enough to climb. I stumble at the top and I kick over a few loose logs, but I steady myself by grabbing the wrought iron balcony rail. Clutching tight, I leap and pull, grabbing hold of the top railing. I pull once more and my feet find purchase on the concrete floor up and over the rail and I'm at the window screen inside I can see that they took everything even the kitchen table I pull out my pocket knife and I cut a hole in the screen I push the window a little wider crawl inside Mary Mary Mrs. Venable anybody run upstairs I check her bedroom her grandparents room open closets Run downstairs, more closets, cupboards, down to the basement, frantic, nothing. Back up to the living room, nothing. There's, there's nothing, it's empty. It's all gone. They're gone, she's gone. And it's my fault. It's my fault for being scared. It's my fault for doubting. It's my fault for, it's my fault for caring. It's my fault, I did this. I don't know how but I know that it's true. I walk back upstairs, kicking every riser. I sit on the floor of her bedroom and I pick at the indentations or bed frame left in the carpet. Strand by strand, I pick it, pull it straight, rub it with my knuckles, stain it with my bloody palms, pick it some more, making it even, making it flat. 
till the impression is gone. Unless It's About Me, Part 3, Hide and Seek, by Ryan P. Duke. Reading Out Loud is produced by Ryan P. Duke, Scott Miner, and myself. Our sound designer is Scott Miner at Lucky Dog Audio Post. Our editors are Gwen Fulcher and James Tania. Our editorial consultant is Simon A. Smith. Our social media manager is Gwen Fulcher. And our reader in residence is Eleni Papa George. This episode is sponsored in part by pledges from Randall Anderson, Pat Duke, and Will Mitchke through Patreon.com. If you enjoy the show, please visit patreon.com slash reading out loud and pledge your support. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash reading out loud. Also, be sure to check out our website, readingoutloud.org, for more information about the show and to listen to past episodes. While you're there, follow the links to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Team R-O-L. Next week, we'll be back with a beautiful story from author Erica Price, who we absolutely adore. You won't want to miss it. For all of us here at Reading Out Loud, I'm Brandon Paul Eels. Thanks for listening.